at Arnold Organic, we know that when we take care of the earth, the earth also takes care of us. You'd be surprised by our environmentally friendly way of baking breads. Our ingredients are farmed per strict USDA organic standards that make the soil richer and promote biodiversity. Our bakeries are powered by renewable wind energy, and we donate 1% of our revenues to environmental causes as members of 1% for the planet, so that future generations can flourish too. Arnold Organic Bread, great taste that's sustainably baked. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and today I am joined by Alex Stewart. Hello. 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 And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello. All well? Excellent. Uh, Today we are talking again about sensible transfers. And a few weeks ago, we asked our listeners to send in suggestions in the form of club and position on the pitch. And Alex was tasked with using statistics and numbers, mind maths, to, uh, to find players uh, who we could suggest to replace them. Also, today we've brought along Seb to, to taper it off a little bit, <laughs> you know, to temper the deep number, to dumb number it down. five. To dumb it down. To dumb it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes. also, for, partly for my curiosity, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what difference there will be between the two of you. I feel like we should preface this by saying that there is a conversation here. I feel like it's always under the surface between the two of you about how useful analytics are. Because Seb, you, you, you're a bit of a, uh, you hate them, don't you? <laughs> I'm a little bit of a Luddite. I, no, well, I, I think that's a misrepresentation. I, I find it interesting. I find the way it's presented in sort of social media land a little bit aggressive sometimes. And uh, It's a marvel that you even work for TIFO, isn't it? It is a little bit yeah. of an anomaly, yeah. Um, no, I, I do find it interesting. I just, I, um, I, I think where it's most um, useful is in um, creating shortlists. So... For instance, in, instead of sending scouts as you would have done in the old days uh, around the country to, you know, to accumulate a, a list one player by one player, you now have the chance to kind of to do it digitally and then reference that against what you see in real life. I think it's very, mm. very useful. I think sometimes... When you say that, though, it sounds a little yeah. bit like you're saying it's the difference between using the internet for research and uh, spending time in several libraries. Yeah, I guess it's... Yeah, I, I guess I, I think... Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to denigrate the, the analytics community. What, what, what I find odd is the, the kind of the, the, the notion of a, an analytics war going on, whereas in reality that happened like a decade ago mm-hmm. in terms of the number of, maybe not in the, in the same ways. but the number <laughs> And no of one pro- got killed. And no one got killed, which, <laughs> is, not which, is, which is always a nice feature of, of um, I'm sure of, some of people lost war. their jobs. It's, it's people being snide on Twitter more yeah, than anything I else, so. which, I, which is part of the issue. I, I think that for me, there's a little bit of a barrier to entry. I think, it's, um, I think uh, there's a little bit, that, that whole debate on both sides is very aggressive. And I kind of, I turn away from it. Okay. I don't, I'm not invested on either, in either side of it, really. I just find it quite unappealing. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, Newcastle, Atletico Madrid, Bayern Munich, Wolves and Spurs. Uh, we'll get to those in time. First, I thought it might be useful if to show the difference between how the two of you have approached today, and it might not be hugely different, would you just run, run us through your process for selecting players to fill these roles? Alex, can I start with you? Um, yeah, I mean, actually, I, effectively what I've done is sort of what Seb's described, except I haven't then driven anywhere. So um, the first thing I do is I look at the player type of profile that I expect we're looking to find. In the case of, say, for example, the Spurs attacking midfield berth, it is to look to replace Christian Eriksen on the assumption that he's going. So what does Christian Eriksen do well? How can I then find other players that have similar metrics in the things that are particularly important for him? Once I've winnowed that down to a list of people that 
sort of makes sense. I then watch a bit of those players through video clips and come up with a, a kind of final take on it. Okay, and Seb, how have you done it? Um, in well, your brain? In, in a little bit in my brain, yeah. In, in different ways, depending on who we're talking about. So Wolves is on our, our agenda, and I think what I did there is I looked at what Wolves need, uh, what they do well, and tried to add in players who, A, would find the adjustment to their style of play easy, uh, players who had experience um, in competitions that can become relevant to Wolves. So, for instance, the Europa League, Wolves are in that this season. Um, but also uh, players that allow them to do more of the things that Wolves do well uh, and obviously also uh, address their weaknesses. And how did you come up with the list of player names? The players you're already aware players of? Players I've seen. So as a rule, I, I try not to, to do the... Um, just because... No, it's not a judgment. It's just because I, I knew the approach Alex would use. So I wanted to be different. Um, so I, I, everyone says that, mate. Well, I, 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 I kept it to players I've actually seen play. This is the, um, I love the underlying thing here. This is why I brought this up. But I, I wanted to kind of, because I don't want, just want to, um, for the sake of the variation, I don't want to talk about metrics and numbers. I want to talk about playing style, character. Passion, heart. Stuff like, so <laughs> one, of, one, of, one of my players, for instance, um, I'm proposing moves from Sevilla to the Midlands. And one of the facts involved there is he's got a very young family. And also lifestyle, things like that, because I, th I think that um, if we can combine those two things, then you can provide a pretty complete solution. You need both. The but, human approach. Uh, to an extent, but they're, they're just relevant because mm. if we're going to do realistic transfers, it's not just about who you could transfer into a side in a kind of a football manager sense. Yeah. It's a, he's got to come and live in the place too. And mm -hmm. is that going to work? And if, if it's not going to work, how's he going to perform? So that kind of stuff, basically. And, and I, I do feel like, any sensible individual that's actually involved in transfers wouldn't take this kind of slightly binary approach that you sometimes see yeah. represented on Twitter with mm -hmm. the stats community versus somebody else. It is very much a combination. And I think Absolutely. stats are used effectively to whittle down a, 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 you know, a available player roster of thousands, if not more. So you'd make but a then good combination. all of these other yeah. things come in. Well, yeah, but I think that's exactly what would happen in a real club. That's what a Premier League side would do. I mean, the, the idea that you sort of, it's a great fallacy that exists with people, sort of the Luddite community, as we'll, we'll, we'll term it, who just believe that all scouting is now is people with laptops. In reality, it's just one aspect of the process and any sensible club with any kind of decent recruiting model would, would work in the same way. So we're trying to kind of, it's meant to be realistic transfers, isn't it? So we try to kind of um, mm. to do it as, as, in, in as, as real world a way as possible. Well, it's sensible transfers. I don't know if I would call them all Ooh, realistic. Is it sensible? Okay, but so, right. Have so. you prepared you prepare the wrong? Oh, yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, like, that, that line between sensible and realistic no, is it's pretty thick. So. Huge difference. Okay. Um, Control-alt-delete. Right, well, let's start then with uh, Newcastle. And I'm not sure, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think I have the names of the people who submitted the ideas. Do you have them, Alex, with you? Uh, because the first one I want to go to is Newcastle central midfielder. Obviously, there's a lot to discuss here. Do you know who that was, Joe? Who was that? It's Flipendo. Flipendo. <laughs> uh, Newcastle central midfielder, suggested by Flipendo. Of course, uh, Rafael Benitez has been, well, has left the club, citing... Uh, Differences in vision, which I think we all knew was coming. Not necessarily his leaving, but the differences in vision becoming a problem at some point. Um, we don't know what's happening with that rumoured potential takeover bid, so perhaps we should consider this. I don't know. I mean, have you both prepared expecting Mike Ashley to be the owner? Yes. Okay. Um, I think it's important to... to put a caveat in here at the moment, is that like, 
this is the one area which is actually impossible because um, there is really no predicting how, well, in a very cynical way, there is absolutely a way of predicting how actually it will move through the market. But so much of this is we're recording this before we have any idea who the new head coach is going to be. Mm-hmm. We just have a list of sort of betting favorites. And, you know, I mean, that's a list which includes Anton Deck at the moment. So sure, we are, we're, we're dancing the dance a little bit. It does. Uh, well, interestingly, Anton Deck, Ant by himself, but no deck by himself. Well, which is interesting. What yeah. do we read into that? The small I kind of interesting. Okay. Capital. Reading that Ant is currently more available. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> deck, not I, so much. I genuinely don't know which one's which. Deck's a smaller one. Come oh, okay. on. Don't denigrate them like that. They're national treasures. You definitely know who's No, who. I know, but they, they, they come so inherently a as a pair. They're like Mel and Sue. I, I can tell the difference between those two. I don't know. Sue's got glasses. Okay. I mean, I, I, I don't, but they come in a package. Yeah. You don't really see. Yeah. It's like Phil them. and Holly, but their gender separates them. Mm, so it's quite I easy tell to tell the difference. Yeah, Exposing yeah. a real lack of uh, cultural knowledge here outside of football. We're anyway. Just, we're just getting older. <laughs> let's go with you first, Seb. I yeah. think that's a good, I think that's a good start. You've given us your caveat. Uh, no more excuses. Okay. Do go on. So a couple of areas with Newcastle. We talked about central midfield. Um, at the time of recording this, though, it looks very likely that Salomon Rondon will not return to Newcastle because Ashley is not going to pay uh, the reported £10 million for a player that's nearly 30. Was he on loan there last he season? He was on loan from West Bromwich Albion. And without him, it's a huge problem because not only are you losing the player, but the entire the style of play that Benitez crafted was dependent on having a centre forward who could hold the ball up as the, the sort of the, the out ball. I'm not saying they were just a purely direct team, but their way of playing depended on his ability to, to play amongst two, sometimes three different centre-halves and do it very effectively. Um, I'm working the assumption he's not coming back and therefore I'm going to propose, after I get to central midfield, um, like a, a bit of a reinvention of that area because you're not going to be able to replace that kind of player with the sort of profile that Newcastle typically, um, typically, typically buy. Um, right, so central midfield... Um, I thought budget, I think Newcastle approach is going to have to be either shopping on loan, um, which we can't really deal in at the moment because without knowing the relationships of the manager with, you know, a, mm. a player only goes on loan to a club if the, the parent club trusts the manager because otherwise, and if it's a young player, otherwise you're not going to, you're not going to uh, potentially risk someone being, um, not interfered with sounds wrong, um, but messed about with you don't you don't want the development of a player stymied by if you were Maurizio Pochettino you're not loaning a player to a Tony Pulis managed side for mm-hmm. instance um so Nathaniel Chalabar um damaged goods to an extent um off the back of a very serious kneecap injury um and he has returned but um last season uh pretty much every Javi Garcia press conference had a question about Chalabar in it mm-hmm and it was the same weird little answer about, well, he's training, but he's just not getting into the match squad. Not, not first team, squad. Um, and he has become a very peripheral presence. I have to believe, though, that I, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's still a good player in there. I think there's, there's sort of a, a two-way midfielder that Newcastle don't really have at the moment. Um, someone who, as he proved right at the beginning of his time at Watford, if he plays regularly and if you construct a midfield with certain deferences towards his playing style, there's a very good player in there. What do you mean by a two-way midfielder? Someone that can operate in both directions. Someone that can play without the ball, but someone that... He's not a great attacking player, but he plays a role in the attacking side of the game. So yeah. he will bounce between the penalty areas. 
Um, I don't think he's a goal scoring threat, but he is a he's a very useful set piece target too. And I think Newcastle's survival next season will depend on you know some fairly rudimentary facets like set piece delivery, crossing from wide positions. I don't think that if you're if you're talking about a reinvention of the rest of the side, the expectation cannot be that they become a sort of a free flowing, uh, flare heavy um, Newcastle on the Keegan style side because you just can't create that within the space of a single preseason. Mm-hmm. Chalaba would be mine. He comes with a big asterisk about injury, fitness, form, confidence. Um, but Newcastle can't actually be choosy. So their approach really has to be to look at areas where they can exploit inefficiencies in other squads. So they can see a player who perhaps Grossier has not given up on, but other people have moved ahead of. So for instance, uh, Etienne Kampu and, and Abdoulaye Decoré, of course, pending Decoré's potential sale. But Will Hughes is certainly um, well ahead of Chalabar in the, in, the, in the hierarchy there. So I have to believe he'd be available and I have to believe he'd be available, uh, at least not on loan, on a fairly um, fairly frugal permanent deal. Mm-hmm. So that, I quite like that. Um, do you want to go to his central midfield or go to my attacking options? Do you have different... Um, oh, oh, sorry, sorry that, that, that's your one choice for central that's midfield? That's really my one choice okay. because the thing about Newcastle is you can get interesting and you can throw out some other names, but I don't believe that Newcastle's recruitment model has that kind of foresight. Mm-hmm. Also, don't believe that when they're when they're operating with players based in other countries, they move particularly well during the mar- uh, uh, through the market. Okay. Just, that's not how they work. Well, let's imagine that they did and go to Alex uh, <laughs> and uh, imagine what that would be like, Alex. Yeah. Well, I've I've sort of picked I've picked two players from France, um, one from Ligue 1, who I agree with. How dare you? Sorry. Honestly, Seb. Right. So some of the points that Seb's made there, for example, I think um, likely shopping in the loan market, um, players who can play in both directions, players who offer a set piece threat. Um, these are all good points, I think. So um, a guy called Sanjin Pircic, who's currently at Strasbourg. Um, so he's he's owned by Levante, but he's basically been on loan from pretty much every club that's ever permanently owned him. Mm-hmm. Having said that, he does actually always perform well. Strasbourg have overperformed in Liga this season. Um, he's probably a stronger defensive midfield than a creative one, but he's a good progressive passer of the ball. He's very functional. He does simple things well, and he does provide a good threat from set pieces. So he's the sort of probably reasonably bargain, if not just on loan option. Um, the other option is, is a guy who's really quite exciting at Lens, who are one of these sort of talent factories in France, along with people like Socho. Um, and he's called Chec de Coré, um, and he is 18, I think, maybe 19, but he's, he's basically another of these extremely dynamic, all action, does everything midfielders, um, the numbers are very good. Yes, that's with the caveat that, that he's in League Two. I know there's been quite a lot of kind of questions and, and comments around the, the translation of metrics from one league to another. So Let's put that in context a little bit. So we released a video or two so far, one about Tottenham, one about Manchester United, in which we've pretty much done what we're doing here. So if you're just listening to the podcast, this is what we're discussing. And various comments yeah. underneath the videos have suggested that the numbers for a Liga or League 2 team or player cannot be comparable to those of the Premier League. Yeah. 
So, so the, the the simple answer is that that they're not directly comparable. Just because a player gets, I don't know, eight interceptions per match in league duh, does not mean they're going to go and do the same in the Premier League. What you're doing is looking at those players and how they rate compared to the players also in their league. So if somebody is streets ahead, um, so there's a Lens defender, for example, called Jean-Kevin Duvern, who's just come back from quite a serious injury, but, but is a very, very promising centre-back. And his numbers are streets ahead of pretty much all the other centre-backs in League 2, League 2. Um, so you can make an assumption that if he starts playing with much better players, his numbers will increase commensurate with that. Um, so what, what you're not saying is you can just pick a player up, transition him, and he'll replicate how well he was doing. But the disparity in quality between those around him gives a very good indication that if he starts playing with better players, he'll play better. I mean, ultimately, it's guesswork, isn't it? But it's kind of intelligent Always guesswork. Always to a degree. There is also an additional comment, which is that generally speaking, if a player moves from one European top five league to another, you can be fairly confident that that player will continue to do quite well, mm-hmm. providing things like the system that they're playing in is fairly similar. There aren't other issues around things like injury man management and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Um, because any player that gets to one of Europe's top five leagues, generally speaking, has been quite thoroughly scouted and looked at. So there's a fairly decent bet that they'll be able to replicate their level of quality. Mm. Okay. Uh, Seb, you said then that you had some attacking suggestions for Newcastle. Yeah, and these start to get very low percentage because for all the reasons we've said before. Um, right, I, 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 one from the loan market, which again is along the same sort of mentality as Chalaba, which is you're trying to take away a problem that another Premier League club is experiencing. Cenk Tossen. Um, really, from Everton, is he? Yeah, a really poor transfer. Um, I, I still can't believe that it was sanctioned actually because it was, uh, it was a Steve Walsh, Sam uh, Allardyce, clusterfuck basically um spent far too much money uh, he doesn't seem to uh to interest marcus silver in any way at all so i have to believe that if a club is willing to to share his um his wage liability then uh then then he's a possibility the one thing i'd say about him is he's not really a target man he was billed as one as someone that can hold the ball up he's not he's not in any way equatable to to rondon what is so he would have Oh, he's somewhere between a, a nine and a 10, not necessarily particularly great in either category, but he can score goals. He can be physical and he's actually a slightly more technical player than he's given credit for. It sounds like you're describing Wayne Rooney of a certain uh, period. No, I mean, he's, he's a... He's, I don't necessarily mean in terms of overall quality. He's a bit more quality. rugged than that. I, I, I think if he's to, to play in a, 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 at the top of a Premier League formation, it has to be with somebody else mm. um, because he's not, He's not complete enough to be a, um, a lone forward. Um, and then a, a few others. I mean, that's, that's very much option five of five. Um, got a player who, was, uh, who played for Cologne last season, uh, John Cordoba. Um, a bit of a wild card because what his form in the Bundesliga 2 would equate to in the Premier League, I don't know. But he's young. He's Colombian. He's got a fairly complete skill set. He's scored goals with his feet, with his head. Um, he's got a little bit of craft as well, so he can receive the ball um, almost in a kind of a force nine position and then bring in attacking players around him, which is quite interesting. And he'd probably be quite cheap. Having been promoted with his goals, I'm not sure Cologne are going to be too eager to sell him. So don't know. Um, my, the one that I would get excited about, which 
as a result of being excited about would never, ever, ever happen under Ashley. Uh, Yusuf and Nezri from Leganis. Um, 22. Uh, physically, I don't know. He's a little bit wary. He's a strong player. He'll score good. So people may remember him um, from the last World Cup, actually. He scored the, the headed goal against, uh, against Spain from Morocco. Really strong, like um, that sort of penalty spot area kind of header. Um, but he's a very, very skillful player as well. And I, I've picked him really because um, there's, depending on who coaches him, you can have a very, very fine player. Like if Ashley goes and appoints Mike Walker or Joe Kinnear, then whatever, like there's no point because someone like that is not going to have the trust of a, a quintessentially English manager. They're going to go and probably try and sign Andy Carroll on a free transfer. That's what they'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, but Enesri is absolutely fascinating. I think that sort of the range of his finishing is very interesting. I think he's the kind of player, and Newcastle especially, he's not an orthodox number nine. However, he's exactly the kind of player that Newcastle public would gravitate towards. And I think one of the kind of the, the underlying issues is the, the apathy, or more than apathy, angry apathy, if you like, that's um, contradiction in terms that has um, met the Benitez decision. You need to do something now which stops people saying, right, well, you know, I, I want my money back for my season ticket. I'm not buying the replica shirt because that's what's happening. Um, Newcastle, I mean, we're recording this on a Monday. People want to go onto Twitter and see what the reaction is to Newcastle releasing their, their newest kit. I mean, it's just, it's a disaster. And there's really 20, 25 million euros, I'd have thought something like that, probably beyond Newcastle's price range. But then their stated aim is to buy players of that age. So one of the contradictions of Ashley's Newcastle is that is we're led to believe the, um, the, the, the crux of his fallout with Benitez was authority and control, and also Ashley's unwillingness to budge from the idea that players have to be bought at a certain age and have a resale value. But if you look at Newcastle's squad, very few of their players at the moment are under 25. Mm. Um, very few of their players would have any resale value. And actually, some of the young players that they've bought, I mean... Uh, LaSalle's is, is a, you know, an outlier. He was, he's been a very good transfer, would command a significant fee if he was to come on the market. But some of their best um, transfers recently, someone like Fabien Shah, Florian Lejeune, these are not 18-year-olds. These are not kind of, these don't exist within the kind of the, the assumed um, uh, mechanic of, of Newcastle's transfer policy. So El Nesri would. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Being Newcastle, that's a little bit too exciting. So I've scaled it down a little bit. And I think they're going to have to look in the championship at some point. If they want to, if they're going to buy a, 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 a nine style forward permanently, definitely championship. Someone like Ollie McBurney, um, scruffy player physically, um, but really likable. Like, works very, very hard. Good in the air, good finisher. Um, seems very, very happy at Swansea though. So I, I, I don't know whether that's achievable. Alongside that, uh, Brentford is is always quite interesting. And there's, there's actually three different players, not forwards, but supplementary forwards, wide inside forwards, Ollie Watkins, Saeed Benrahma, um, Neil Mapai might be going to Sheffield United, but that's not done at the time that we're recording this. So all of those players, this 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 fits what I said at the beginning in that like without um, Rondon, you have to reinvent this team. You cannot just have you can't, for instance, if you were to sign on Luke Burnie, you can't say, right, well, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to plan exactly the way Rondon did. Mm. You've got to create a, an, a proper front two or three then. Can't just be one with, with nine players behind him. So you have to have these wide forwards. Um, 
And typically they're very expensive um, because they're, you know, amongst the most prized assets in the game now because of the way the, the game works and because nearly every elite formation has those players in them now. Um, so, yeah, I think they'd be um, economic. They're also young. Um, they would have the resale value. But it's depressing because Newcastle, Newcastle should have been the, the most interesting part of this little assignment. Yeah. You know, because actually, if you look at their defence, it's pretty well set. DeAndre Yedlin, not so much. I don't think he's a particularly good player. He's just quick. Um, you need to replace him. Good goalkeeper, despite patchy form over the last six months. Really good trio of centre-halves. Lasalle, Shah, Lejeune. Although Lejeune is a... Um, I looked it up, actually. He's, he, there's no expected return date from his current knee injury, and he has had a really bad injury history at Newcastle. Right. Um, so they're actually quite set there. And even in midfield, so we, we've added, theoretically, Chalabar. But they've got some sort of underutilised assets in there. Sean Longstaff may be going to Manchester United. We don't know that yet. Ki Sung Young remains a an efficient, sort of passable Premier League player, probably a bit past his best now. Um, John Joe Shelby is still there. Um, and still just 27. Like Shelby, I understand all the issues with Shelby. And I understand why people fall out with him. But he's still a very gifted player. And if you're if you're if mm. you're if you're gonna pivot towards something which is a little bit more aggressive a little less reliant on the kind of the organisation employed by Benitez. You need someone that can pass the ball over short, medium and long range. And Shelby can do all of those. And if you were to, he may not be perfect, but if you were to go out and try and buy that player, that is presumably a transfer that Mike Ashley would be unwilling to fit the bill for. Well, also, I, I've always thought with John Joe Shelby that he's he's been unfortunate in some ways as to have not been in... Because t- if you think about the managers of the teams that he has played with at the time that he's played with them... He's almost kind of found his way randomly uh, uh, to to be with those teams at a time where a manager, the style of play, which doesn't really suit him. And it's kind of an unfortunate career in some ways in that regard. It is, but I say it's his own doing. Like, he is a difficult person. Um, He has fallen out with nearly every manager he's played for. Um, Don't they make the most interesting footballers, though? They generally do. And there's no getting away from the fact that he is still gifted. If you can get him fit and you can can put him in a system which complements his abilities... And protects his inability to, he's not the hardest working player. He's not particularly great defensively. But if you can bank in between supplementary players in a three-man midfield, Shelby's an asset. Mm. Um, again, it, it's, it's such a hypothetical because this is going to depend on the coach. Like there are some coaches who just habitually will, will look, take one look at Shelby's back catalogue and say, no thanks, get him out of the club as quick as possible. But I don't think um, Newcastle are in a position to to will away players like that at the moment because they're they're in a very precarious situation. I was just going to say that he's still, in terms of progressive passing metrics per 90 and and through passes and so on, he shows up in pretty elite company. And, And irrespective, I mean, he's not had a great deal of game time, but when he does play, he is capable of doing certain things that that Newcastle otherwise very much lack. I think if you're Mike Ashley and Man United come in with 25 million for Sean Longstaff, throw him out the door. I mean, I don't, I don't understand that sort of move, but I agree with what Seb says. You have to have, in a, in a transitional club, and the worry with Newcastle always is that Ashley is not going to support this process properly. But whoever comes in will need to work out whether there's a continuity of identity from the Benitez era, which I agree does require a striker like Rondon who is arguably the best sort of classic target man centre forward currently operating um, or a complete reworking in which case the squad is not altogether suitable 
for for most styles. So mm. it's really tricky. Um, N Nazero, by the way, I, I like very much. He's come up in a few searches that I've done for other things. I, I don't know whether I'm I'm looking at him through analytical eyes or I just really enjoy watching him play. But I, I think there's well, a, actually, he measures up pretty well he, in both terms. That's yeah. interesting. I just yeah. I, I find him very entertaining, and he's the kind of guy that, like you know, that sort of um, that that Sunday eleven o'clock game that's usually you know oh, it's now on eleven rather than Sky Sports. He turns up in a few of those. Um, Laganes are you know, a little bit of a flawed team, but he's he's very interesting to watch, and I, I just like it's it's a little bit old fashioned, I think. But I'm I'm eager to you know in my sort of pseudo role as Newcastle director of football. I want to bring a bit of joy to this team because you've taken Benitez out and it could be a bit of a grind there, but it worked well. So all these structures are going with Benitez. You need to compensate in other ways other than just bringing in someone. I don't know. I don't think you're going to get someone that is, that is, that is Benitez tactical equal. I just mm. don't think it's possible because Newcastle can't appeal to that kind of manager anymore. Well, just before we move on, because we do have to, we've spent half an hour on the first one, which is no, it's no problem. Well, one we've thing, one thing, sorry, before we shall add, um, Iosi Paris will probably leave too. So that's worth... Um, really? Yeah, he said, uh, I think it was about March or April, he said, um, he released a statement that said, look, if things continue the way I, he, that they are at the moment, this is not really the way I want to spend my career. Um, he's 25. He, he said, look, if the mentality at Newcastle changes, by which he meant if a takeover comes in and, and the sort of the, um, the, the imperatives are altered, he's happy to stay. But on the basis that that doesn't look like it's going to happen, yeah. I think we assume that he's, uh, he's it's off It's such somewhere. a drag, isn't it? Yeah. it it's, it's... Could be such a... Newcastle, it would take so little to make this in, an interesting project. And also you think that in, in the... What I find funny about this, and I assume that the rumoured takeover bid, the, the, and it's very difficult to have uh, clear answers on, on the group in question... Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously con- there's obviously a number of controversies uh, with that potential takeover, but I imagine anyone doing their due diligence on the Premier League not only would Newcastle make possibly the perfect club for a multi-billionaire owner to buy, just in terms of its history and its infrastructure and its fans and everything that's fantastic about the well, geographical area, supremacy in that part of the world. Absolutely, now. but also, uh, can you think of a Another club in even in you know the top two English flights, where the fans would be so desperate as to avoid, forget about any controversy uh, that's, that that might come with new owners because they would be so desperate to get rid of Mike Ashley, who is just a, a right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's also the, the interesting. <laughs> is that like, fine to say? Uh, well, in this I, instance, I think it is because I, I, think, I don't I, see that any any single Newcastle fan would disagree with do you. Do apologise for my language, though. And the weird thing about Newcastle, Joe, I'm going to bleep that out. You, you 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 might want to do that, but the the strange thing here is that sort of um, one of the uh, the the telltale uh, statistics about Newcastle under Ashley is their commercial revenue or lack of growth within their commercial revenue during this era of the Premier League over a period of 15 years. Mm. I think it's budged by about two million pounds a year. Um, it's up to, I, I think it's around 28 million pounds a year from 25, 26 when he took over, which is staggering given the kind of the increase in visibility, um, the, 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 the weight and, um, the sort of the gravitas of the Premier League. Yeah. You just think if you put a decent football team on the field, if you removed those, oh, like the, the sports direct banners, which pop up like melanoma each season, you know, if you removed all this stuff. And you made it, you changed the focus ever so slightly to being a football team rather than just a platform on which to sort of whore crap sports merchandise. You know, Mike Ashley would be better off. He would have a, a more valuable asset. 
either to sell or to profit from. And yet it's just that this paranoia about control and ah, I just, it's, yeah, I have no affinity to Newcastle. I, you know, they're, I, they're not close to this team I support. So there's don't, they're not a rival. I just find the whole thing for, as a, as a football watch, incredibly depressing. But if you've made all your money running a lowest common denominator business, then it's, you, it's very hard to shake that mentality do, when I, you do something else. I just find it hard to believe that someone that's made that amount of money um, is unable to see the opportunity of making even more in this situation. I know that not every uh, every rich man is a smart man. I understand that. That's, that's <laughs> an example of that staring us right in the face. But I think... Is that Alex? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, um, sorry. I was confused for a moment. God, he did there. a great face. He, did, he sold that so well. It's well. just deadpan. But it's just like, there has never been a better time to own a football club. Yeah. There's never been an easier time to make money out of football than there is now. It's been impossible for so long. And now, mm. like, you just have to be competent. Yeah. You just have to, to, to make sure that the, the product you're selling isn't absolutely toxic. And you may not make a fortune, but you'll do well for yourself. Yeah. Even if it's just in the, in the sense that you will sell for more than you bought. Who are the uh, the bookies uh, front runners for taking over the job as of today, Monday the first of July? Uh, just, just out of my curiosity, I haven't uh, looked. As of a couple of hours ago, uh, Gary Monk, uh, Mikel Arteta, um, Rui Faria used to be uh, Jose Mourinho's assistant. That'd be very interesting. But why Rui Faria would bother? Is, is Mourinho know. not on the list? Uh, no, Mourinho I, I, he's on the list probably somewhere to say no. Uh, I, I, I have a theory that Mourinho, Mourinho said what he did just to mess with uh, Rafael Benitez, obviously, who has right. a long-standing rivalry with. Sure. Um, and that was just Mourinho being mischievous. I'm sure he's not going to work with Mike Ashley. Just no, I, I suppose, again, this, this is all kind of reliant on a potential takeover. Right? Let, let, let's move on. I would love to spend more time on Newcastle, and perhaps we can um, in the future. It seems like there's a lot to discuss there, doesn't it? This is an advert. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by The Week. Now, The Week is like a news filter. It pulls together the best and most interesting articles and opinion from over 200 different sources every week. That includes The Guardian, The Financial Times, The Daily Telegraph, and other news media from overseas. Did you know that, Alex? Yes. Yes, that's good. Of course you did. Uh, it brings together multiple points of view on the most important topics so that you can be sure you've got the full picture. And the best thing is you can try it for free for six weeks by visiting theweek.co.uk forward slash offer and then entering the offer code TIFO. Now, Alex, did you speak to your dad as you said you were going to this week? Because last week and the week before, we referenced that your dad uh, it reads and is a subscriber to The Week. Uh, um, I, I, I tried. You, sorry, you did or you didn't? I, you said not, you were going to. Yeah, it, it proved tricky. Okay, so we don't have anything for this? Well, I mean, I did, I did get something. What did you get? Hi, Dad, can I borrow you for a second? No, I told you, I'm busy reading the week. Oh, okay. Oh, dear. That's unpleasant. <laughs> That's unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> Is he always like that? I... I mean, when he's reading the week, oh, yeah. No. I know, I know. I I should have learned by now. He seemed to be really into the week. He is extremely. What yeah. do you know? <laughs> do you know whether he was reading about the news or, or science, sport, food, the arts, or more at that point when he when he was mean to you? Uh, 
I think the great thing is that in the week you can read about all of those things. Yeah. But to be honest, I was so scared I didn't notice exactly. Right, yeah. It sounds uh, as well like it's an anti-echo chamber in, in, in your dad's house. Um, well, his shouting echoes. Yeah, but not the news not, media from the week. Correct. That doesn't echo at all. Not, not at all. You know what? I mean, I'm sad to have heard your dad treating you like that. It doesn't sound like a happy and healthy relationship, but I will say that the week is a breath of fresh air. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because and it's a shame that you didn't have a copy of the week at that point, because if you did, you could have cut out the noise and got to the heart of your dad. The matter. Sorry, the heart of the matter. And maybe bonded with him a little. Yeah. Well, you know... Sounds like you're probably spending quite a lot of time on your own, tucked away in your bedroom there at your parents' house. So perhaps you should join thousands of people who trust The Week as their essential curated news source. Try it yourself with your first six issues completely free by visiting theweek.co.uk forward slash offer and entering the offer code TIFO. Hmm. Uh, but moving on now to Bayern Munich. Uh, do you know, have you got the name again for the person who asked for this one, Alex? Not, yeah. n- not necessary if you don't, but it I, might be no, nice I do, to read I out do. if you do. It's the joy of having notebooks. Mm. Um, so this was someone called Bill Board. Bill Board? Yeah. Okay. Well, Bill Board. Bill Board asked for a right wing stroke left wing. Obvious choice is Sane, you've written, but others? Did you write that? Was I supposed to read that? I'm just reading the email I, you sent yeah, me. I, can't, I don't know what's happening. I can't see your screen, so I don't know. It's an email from you. You said... I'll when did I send listeners. the email? You, said, you sent it on the 28th of June at 1648. Was this the one that was to him as well? me in, yeah. and it went to Seb, and you said, oh, yeah. Bayern, RW stroke LW dash. Yeah. Obvious choice is Sane, comma. Are there others, comma? Why doesn't Sane seem settled at City, if that's so? Question mark. So I don't know if that was your... That's just notes for Seb, really. Well, let's start with Seb, then. Yeah, I actually, let's not. You've talked a lot. Let's go yeah, to Alex. I've done a lot of talking. Yeah. Who are your choices? <laughs> um, well, again, put us in some context as well. Yeah. So, so for a long time, Bayern have had Iam Robin and Frank Ribery as their two go-to wingers. Extraordinary players. Extraordinary players. Huge longevity. Vast international experience. Consistently successful in the Bundesliga. Uh, in Europe to a degree as well. Can I also say that I think they inspired a generation of, of uh, FIFA video game players to play with inverted wingers because they were so good at cutting inside. Well, I, I mean, actually, I, that's, I, th- I think that applies to football more widely because mm. actually, as Seb mentioned earlier, this transition now where a lot of elite teams will have inside forwards that, that cut in on their wrong foot and overlapping fullbacks. And really, as a pairing, Ribery and, and Robin were the two to really do that. And the joke, obviously, with Robin is that he only scores one type of goal, but it's still impossible to stop him doing that. Um, and you can make points about the relative strength of teams in the Bundesliga with Bayern and their spending power and their squad ability. But still, you know, this is a team that's delivered, what, seven, eight titles in a row now, and they have been absolutely integral to that. Bayern have undergone a bit of a rebuilding phase. Um, from last summer, they appointed Nico Kovac, who'd just come off the back of a very successful season with Eintracht Frankfurt, to inject a greater degree of dynamism. Frankfurt were a very high-pressing team, very high-energy team. And I think there was a sense with Bayern that 
coming out of when Pep Guardiola was at Bayern, the, the big debate was always could he synthesize his possessional play with a more direct, aggressive style of football that you find in the German league domestically. And I think that the introduction of Kovac after another Jupp Hunt kissing to Regnum was to try and bring back some of that dynamism and that aggression that, that German teams often seem to have. And a lot of the players in that squad were not built for that. So Because they're getting older, right? They Partly because they're getting older, but also partly because people like uh, Thiago Alcantara, who's obviously a phenomenal midfielder, but you know, there's a certain style there. People are being brought in for, for a reason to play a certain way, and there's a refresh. So Leon Goretzka, for example, is a much more dynamic, much more forward-running midfielder, and people like Serge Gnabry, who is yet another of these players that Arsenal once had and let go of and the list of players that the Arsenal could do with who were once on their books is extraordinarily mm. long. Jeffrey Nadelard at um, Angers is a, another good example of a player who's doing brilliantly. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of, I think that with, with Bayern, what they're looking to do is replicate this sort of progressive running, dribbling, the ability to cut the ball back. Um, now, one example from inside the German league, because Bayern do like to buy from within the German league, is a guy called Milot Rashica. Uh, I almost certainly pronounced that wrong. He's a Werder Bremen, um, scored nine Bundesliga goals, got five assists as well. He's five foot eleven, so I'm, the player I'm going to slightly compare him to is not physically necessarily exactly the same, but he reminds me a little bit of Mandzukic. He's a, a forward who has this tendency to drift out, particularly into the left hand side. He's then very able to, uh, to cut back in, create shooting opportunities, pulls the ball back really, really well. He's used to the German league. He would probably be fairly expensive, but, you know, there's Bayern have the money to be able to buy these sorts of players. The other one I'm going to throw out there, which may be something of a surprise, uh, is Anthony Martial, who I think is fairly grossly undervalued by Man United. For whatever reason, and obviously there's always stuff that happens behind the scenes that we're unaware of, but he hasn't settled. He's not been used well. He's basically another Memphis Depay, you know, yet another player who's gone on to a different league, who's done superbly well there. It's a funny one with him, though, because I, I, if I'm right, there were reports earlier on, I think before the summer of the transfer window started, that suggested that Solskjaer had made it known that Martial wasn't crucial to his plans for next season, but that the club had insisted on renewing his contract so regardless. Joel Glazer, I mean, this, is, this just illustrates what a nightmare Man United is as a club at the moment. Joel Glazer looks at, uh, it might be Joel or Avram Glazer, I'm not, not sure which one said this, but he was like, yeah, he, you know, Martial is our Pele. It just illustrates just how little football knowledge exists at the top of Man United. It's just no comparison, but likes him. Um, I, I, I don't need more than that. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. It's completely, I think Martial's a grossly undervalued player, uh, badly underused as well. But like, there's this loyalty to him at Manchester United, which kind of, which at the moment is uh, obstructing him from making moves, which most likely would be better for his career. Yeah, if he went to Bayern, he could very much fly. I mean, this is, again, this is assuming that Kovac continues with this sort of system Thomas Müller has stepped in quite well on the right-hand side to cut in. So I think they're more looking for a left-winger. Again, that's probably why they've been linked with Sané, um, who may look for a return to Germany. I mean, there's, there's 
Seb would potentially know more about this than I would, but I think I think last summer there was this oddity where he didn't get picked for the Germany World Cup squad. There was clearly something going on in the background where he, because he was the ideal player mm. for Joachim Löw to have taken, and and look how Germany did without that kind of dynamism. He come off the back of a stellar season in the Premier League, and then this season it's, he's fallen away significantly. Other players have been used in that position. It feels like maybe there's something awry there. Maybe he, you know, and Bayern are happy to take a player on loan for a season as well. That's worth noting. I mean, they did it very successfully with James Rodriguez, for example. So that's not to say that, that either one of these players couldn't move to Bayern for a season, play really high-level football, and then come back and, and be an asset for their club. So mm. if they can get Martial, that's who I'd go for. If they shop domestically, Rashika at Werder Bremen. Sané does make sense, but I think there's a lot more... Um, there are there are reasons that that transfer would be more problematic. Okay, Seb, who are your choices? Yeah, I don't I don't hate the Sani idea. I mean, I um, he actually he's returned to to the German squad. He played um, in their in Germany's last uh, game before the, the the summer break. He was absolutely outstanding against I think Andorra. Is a friendly in Germany. Um, and he was magnificent. He's now got cornrows, by the way. He's changed his haircut. Okay. Uh, so I didn't recognize him for the first cut. It's sort of like 40 minutes of that game. And then, because it was the German commentary we were watching. Right. And, um, and then you realized. And I realized, oh, that's Leroy Sané. And he was absolutely that magnificent. quick man. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. I mean, uh, the fee is, I mean, I, I don't really understand the Man City thing beyond conjecture. So the theory seems to go that um, Guardiola being the uh, very successful manager that he is, but also the control freak that he very obviously is, um, doesn't really like Sané's ad-libbing qualities. Like he is, um, he is more comfortable with footballers playing on a rail, so to speak, playing by direction. Sané isn't really that player. He's got a sort of, um, yeah, um, there's a something about it that he doesn't quite like. And so I think Sané is another one who has become uh, underused as a result. I mean, he's, uh, I remember his first season at Manchester City uh, and his second season, he just, some of the things he does with the ball at his feet no other City player can do. And I include De Bruyne in that, I include Sterling, David Silva, Aguero. When I first watched him play for City, yeah. I thought he was going to be Me too. the best player in the league Me too. in a he couple looked, of he years. He so dominant. He yeah. has every set of, every, every ability you could want for a player in that position. I mean, there are other things though. I mean, I, I would, I would, I'm instructed by Bayern's interest in Callum, had, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, he's coming off a serious injury, so there's a little bit of an asterisk there, but I would say, if I was in their position, I think I would wait for that because they're the front, they're the three players that operate behind Lewandowski, uh, Nabry, Muller, Kingsley, Koeman. The only problem I have with that, Koeman's a bit brittle as a player. He's got a bad injury history. Nabry, I still don't quite know how good he is. I think he's a, he can be a very attractive player. He can be very effective. But is he someone that allows you the kind of the dominance that Bayern enjoy in the Bundesliga in the Champions League? Probably not. And Probably not quite at that level. I don't think he's a winger either. No, me neither. I think I th- he's, he's I more think, of an internal player. Like, yeah, yeah Common is Common is really, really good. Yeah. Uh, statistically shows up well, and we obviously we work on the Bundesliga, so I've seen quite a of lot course. of him. Yeah, but he's not the sort of player that you pin. You know, I think Coman's a game games changer. Games yeah. I think I think Coman is your. I I can't think of a it, when fit. Can't think of a better better substitute, a better attacking substitute in European football. I think he is 
he has that kind of those, those sort of fracturing abilities with the ball. Um, I mean, I'm interested by the situation at Real Madrid because actually in, in the current market, there aren't many players who would not only satisfy Bayern's sort of um, uh, technical requirement, but also um, their profile in German football. They like a player that is a headline grabber and there aren't many who are available. I mean, I've heard them being connected with Gareth Bale. I think that would be a nonsense. Like Bale, as a top-level performer, I think is finished, um, or at least in so steady decline. I mean, I'd be interested in someone, again, not a winger, more of an internal player, someone like Marco Asensio, quite like him, as a short, maybe one, two season fix. I like the idea of a kind of a more, slightly more traditional sort of number 10 Isco type, because I think that's one of the qualities they lack in the attacking formation. Like, Muller is not that player, really. Even if he plays directly behind Lewandowski, he's a he's someone that operates in space. He is not a get on the ball and do creative things with it kind of guy. At least that's not his primary ability. Um, and so that sort of number 10 position, I think that's where I channel my energies. And then I'd look at, at Hudson-Odoi in the summer because I don't think, um, well, it depends on what Chelsea are this time next year, but a season under Frank Lampard where they potentially finish sixth, really. I mean, if someone comes in, if Bayern Munich offer big money for a player like that, I think that's his best option. I certainly, as an England fan, I'd like to see him take that option. And I think he's a super player. And I think... Like you got you got to look at this in more than just a one season way. It's a what are we doing for the next half a decade? And I want I, I think I want to hitch my wagons to someone like Hudson Odoi because I think his potential is astronomical. Like as a as a footballer, he's uh, he's terrifyingly good already. So I think that's where I look. I mean, again, it's worth it's worth pointing out that you know with with teams as diverse as Bayern and Newcastle. You can never underestimate the possibility that that Niko Kovac could have a, a slow start to the league again and be sacked yeah, by absolutely. September October, and that we kind of base these assumptions on a, a replication of a particular tactical system. Bayern have been fairly wedded to a four two three one with variations for quite a long time, so it's safe to assume that that's the sort of thing that they'll look to do. and Kind of look, house style at this point, I think. Yeah, but then yeah. partly that house style is is dependent on the fact that you had two exceptional players for that system. And one of the things that you could argue with Bayern is that they are under a new manager and with those two players likely leaving or retiring or what have you. Now's the time. Now's the time to reinvent. So maybe they will do that. Maybe they'll they'll actually look at who's available um, in terms of really good players all round and think about a, a rejig. And, you know, they had a successful loan relationship with Real Madrid on the on the James Rodriguez thing. So, again, the, a deal for someone like Isco or Asensio probably is is the sort of thing that is plausible given the relationship that exists between those clubs. Mm. Okay, we must move on now. Um, we've got 10 minutes left to do the other three. So <laughs> we might be losing... Well, we don't, don't worry about the... The one Atletico that we Madrid. covered, yeah. yeah. So we mentioned Atletico Madrid. We, we did a whole podcast uh, last week about La Liga in which we talk about Godin. So if you didn't listen to that and were keen to, to hear about Atletico Madrid, I'd go back to last week's one. We might lose them at the end. So next, let's go to Spurs and the attacking midfield role. And Alex, again, would you be able to tell me who asked for that? I can. I can tell you who asked. I can tell listeners as well that you, uh, you wrote in the email, <laughs> is this even necessary if Ericsson stays? What's up with Deli Alley? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim. Tim. Yeah. Hey, I know Tim. Yeah. Probably not the same one. Um, Thanks, Tim. I mean, I feel like because Seb's a Spurs fan, 
what I'm going to do is just give my three very quick options. I like that. And then sit back and chill. Okay. Um, so actually the first one is James Rodriguez, mm-hmm. um, who I, I, I find the lack of him being linked with clubs mystifying. There must be something happening. He, I don't know. He can play as a 10. He can play as a, an inside forward. He can play as a, an eight. We liked him as an eight. I really liked him as an eight. And, and when he was kind of linking, this is more the season before last, but when he was kind of really linking play from a deeper position, he was exceptional. Mm. Um, he still weighs in with goals. He still weighs in with assists. As an all-rounder, it's quite hard to find a better kind of central to attacking midfielder in Europe currently. So if he's around and he's available, I know Seb has concerns about wages, but he's there. Giovanni Lo Celso, who has been linked heavily with Spurs, in the same way that Tangoy and Dumbele is a transfer that makes sense for Spurs, I think Lo Celso is should Eriksson leave. Um, there are a lot of reasons to like him, and PSG are the sort of club, I think, that you know they sometimes acquire players and then don't really know what to do with them, and mm. Lo Celso seems to have fallen into that after a kind of breakout season with Real Betis. He's slightly gone off the boil and maybe needs rescuing a little bit. Um, someone else who I, I really like is a guy called Rodrigo de Paul. Um, he's at Udinese. He also plays for the Argentine national side um, and has actually recently, I think, been one of the players who started to make the Argentina midfield tick a little bit better mm. under Scaloni. Um, again, very versatile. He can play out wide. He can pretty much play as a false nine kind of striker, mm-hmm. also as an attacking midfielder or even a little bit deeper. Okay. So these are... These are all players who have a degree of versatility. And the reason I think that's important for Spurs is that I still feel like there's enough, uh, there are enough players of different profiles in that Spurs squad in midfield, even if they do get Undumbele, for it not to be entirely clear how they're going to line up. And I think one of the things that is good about Spurs is also a weakness, which is that they have these kind of portmanteau players who can occupy maybe two or three positions equally effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think getting players with that degree of versatility is important. I'm also confused by the Deli Alley thing. Which bit of it? Well, it it feels like everyone thinks he's gone off the boil. And yet I don't really necessarily agree with that. I feel like he's been shuffled throughout the formation to the extent where like, he's had to develop additional skills, additional mm-hmm. types of contribution. And sort of because it hasn't been typical of what Ali's done for Tottenham up until this point, you know, there are no goals. He isn't, he isn't, um, he isn't benefiting from chance creation as much as he was. Yeah. Then it becomes a what's wrong with Ali situation. I think as a general rule, like on the basis that Harry Kane is fit, the closer Ali is to Kane in the Tottenham formation, the better he tends to play mm-hmm. or the more obviously better he tends to play. Um, and I think the better Tottenham play. I agree. I agree. I think they're more of a threat. I think Ali is a very unpredictable player in the penalty box. He moves really well. Um, <clears throat> as a sort of a more central midfielder, um, I'm unconvinced. Like he does, he takes risks with the ball, which is a bit of a problem sometimes. If he's, you know, he, he has a, he, he certainly has a self-indulgent mode, which can be a bit problematic. Um, I have one of those. You, you, you <laughs> and it continues to be problematic. Yeah. Yeah. My mother says so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. The Ericsson situation, I mean, it's, this is my opinion. Um, I think it's an opportunity to reinvent the midfield. I think the problem with Ericsson is that he's a very, very, very good player, but he's not an excellent one. 
Um, he is also prone to long periods of indifferent form, um, which would make, if it happens, and make his life at Real Madrid an absolute hell. I hope he doesn't put himself through that. You know, I want him to be more of a uh, grab it by the neck and make it happen player this for the not, team. You, the, the thing and you is, see it sometimes, but not enough, right? Rarely. Like, he's not an aggressive footballer. Also, the thing, the thing worth bearing in mind with him is he's very much become a, a component player. When he arrived at Tottenham, he was, when he, when he joined from Ajax, he was still very much a kind of, a, almost a luxury item, classic number 10, you know, pick passes, long shots, free kicks, that kind of guy. He was reinvented under Pochettino and he's being carved into a yeah component. So his role is to do those things, but he has become, and while he still has very impressive numbers, goal scoring, assists, that kind of thing, like he is more, he's more grease in the mechanism now. So mm-hmm. his game depends on things which, like everything Tottenham, it, it's almost contradiction. Everything, everything Tottenham do well tends to go through him, but he can only really play as well as the rest of the Tottenham players around him. For instance, one of Tottenham's great failings at the moment is their fullbacks, especially on the right side of the pitch. Kieran Trippier is off. Um, Serge Aurier is just... I, I, I can't believe that a player that has risen that high in the game has never learned how to tackle. He's just a problem. He, he can't, you can't trust him in his own penalty box and he can't, he's just not good enough, essentially. Um, and because one of Ericsson's primary roles is to... Um, to see that the whole breadth of the pitch and to open up the angles at those fullbacks bombing forward, bombing forward. God, I sound like you sound like a proper football. I man, did. That was I, that's almost an affectation, isn't it? Bombing on. Of, people get worried about our accents, so we'll go with that. Yeah, well, bombing you to, on. You need to start referring to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club as well. Yeah, go go formal. Okay, so, so I, I've got a, I've got a kind of um, a dual response to this. I think first and foremost, Tottenham's priority is not attacking midfield. Like let's let's on, on work on the bases, and and the ballet is going to join. So that, that solves a problem. It frees up a Harry Winks to be a slightly more forward-thinking player. Sissoko is still there. Ali is still there. You've also got Oliver Skip coming through, which is another interesting detail. The primary focus is right-side fullback, and I'm looking at Yusuf Atal from Nice. <laughs> Good luck. Because it's going to be expensive. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, but at the same time, like the profile is exactly right. Like He is not, a, he is not the athlete that a Kyle Walker is but technically good, willing to go outside with the ball and inside, can actually defend to a far higher standard than someone like Trippier. Um, not the best crosser, but I don't see that as much of a problem. I, think, I, I see sort of like um, fullbacks as tent pegs. You don't actually need them to be productive with the ball in attacking areas, but you need to, them to be in the right positions. That's more important, especially with a side like Tottenham, who is so internal. Mm. Um, and... The central midfielder that I liked until last night was Fabian Ruiz. He scored a brilliant goal in the under-21s final, so that's just going to look like I watched that, saw his goal mm. and gone, yep. Yeah. So he's reaffirming that proper football man thing, it is, isn't it? It is, it is. It's going to sound ridiculous. So, but what I like about him is you know, his creative abilities, of course, but also a quite a good defensive player, quite rugged in his own way. He's a big guy, but he can tackle, which Ericsson, if you watch him close enough, you realise for all the pressing he does, and I know the yards he runs every game earns him headlines, um, players go past him with the ball an awful lot. If you, if you, if you, if you, you know, maybe that's why he does so much running. Maybe, but he just he he's he's very resistant to making a challenge, um, and that's a bit of a problem. Like pressing is yes positional. But you also got to do something. You got to be a little bit more not just a threat. a little bit more Eric Lamella when you get in the position to for all, all Lamella's deficiencies. You've got to actually try and win the ball and turn it over because that is the that is the 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 aim of a high press is to turn the ball I over. Do, I- from watching a lot of football recently, though, 
and and looking particularly at, at players in midfield areas because they seem to get requested a lot. It strikes me how little actual tackling happens in football now. Mm. You know, so much is done through pressing, passing lanes, and then stepping out and intercepting. But actually, it's kind of a lost... Yeah, lost art. Can, can, can I interject and say that uh, again? I'm going to bring bring you a story from the video game world of FIFA. Yeah. When I play the game of FIFA, I uh, just stand in between people and uh, they're, 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 I block the passing lane. Yeah. And at some point, I know they're going to make a mistake, and it's it's much safer to do that because if you try and tackle them and yeah. they go past you, you're out of it. And if you don't mind being without the ball for five minutes, at some point they're going to cock up and you'll get it back. Okay, let's reframe this then. I think what you're looking for in that position. Take the tackling off the board. You need a bit more aggression. I'm not saying that tackling is bad. What no, I'm no, saying no, no, is you that not the Guardiola. I, I, I just find it interesting that I, actually I it, it seems to be something where, if, you know, if players are capable of winning the ball back in challenges rather than stepping mm-hmm. forwards into the sort of slightly half-assed thing that might be referred to as a duel yeah. or, or just stepping out and intercepting, then I, I think that's a real quality to have. And it's rare, and Ericsson certainly doesn't have it yeah. at the moment. So I would uh, let's work on the basis that Lachelso is of interest. Um, but I would, I would, I would, I would split that money a little bit. I would look at um, two players who can play multiple positions, but also have very one of them has very uh, a very Ericsson style skill set as uh, Mikel Cuisance from Gladbach. Really young, still underdeveloped, not getting the right amount of game time, mm. but one of the best left foots I've seen in a really long time. Um, Ericsson's one of, one of his great qualities is not his shooting, not his crossing. It's his ability to pass through the lines. He's got a really good mix of short and middle and long-range passing. Um, Cuisance has that. He is not anything like at the same level as Ericsson. But Pochettino's way forward is not to try and buy a Lachelso who is very good, but probably not of interest to, to the absolute top of the game. Man City not going to sign him. So if you're playing that game, you're always at a disadvantage. I'd rather see Spurs invest in a... In, in, an untapped player, essentially. Mm-hmm. So Cuisance fits that. Also, um player that really caught the eye during the, the under-21 tournament was Luca Valschmidt. Um, not because of necessarily everything he does on the ball, wonderful left foot that he has, goal scorer. He plays such a wide range of positions and he occupies so many different areas of the pitch that I think one of Tottenham's problems is where is the backup to Harry Kane? Lorente is going to be released probably today or tomorrow. It's old, fair enough. You're not going to convince a proper forward a, 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 a Kane um, clone to join so you have to look at a player that can play that sort of centre forward position as well as others and Val Schmidt is young enough to settle for a backup role but also probably good enough perhaps to, to occupy one of those sort of wide forward areas as well and uh, just interesting I'd love to see what someone like Pochettino could do with a player like that um, he's at Freiburg so um I, I don't know about fees or anything, but that would be, uh, yeah, that would be interesting. I think that's a better way to go than sort of the, the kind of the, the Bruno Fernandes, you know, just let's just get a, another very, very good player who isn't quite excellent and pay a lot of money for him. I don't like that as an approach. I don't think that is what has served Pochettino particularly well. That's not what got him a Deli Alley, not what, you know, allowed him to get the most from Kane, from Winks. You know, these are players that get built up gradually into being components as Ericsson was. Okay. Uh, we have uh, only seconds left, so names only for the final one, please. This is a Wolves centre-back. Uh, and Alex, uh, can you tell me who asked for this one? Bears for days. Bears for days. 
Wonderful name. Wonderful name. Thank you. Who are um, your names, Alex? Okay, so I've gone for um, two, and I also have a quick observation. Uh, Thomas Basilla, who is a French under-20 international at Nantes, can play right-sided centre-back or right-back, six-foot-two, quick, decent progressive passer, looks like a real prospect. Again, Nantes, one of these factories of talent. And Diogo Lite, God knows how you pronounce it, it's Portuguese, mm-hmm. L-E-I-T-E. He's a Porto. He is another really, really good passer of the ball, another youth international, um, and is p- perhaps more Wolvesy in the sense that he's Portuguese. Also, when I was looking at young centre-backs, do you know a guy called Jafet Tanganga, who's a Spurs under-23 defender? I know the name. I don't, I don't know the He player. looks like he could be all right, actually. <laughs> okay. but I just thought I'd check that out there. Okay. What are your names? My names. So I've gone three different categories. I've gone for the established big budget one. I think Nathan Aki would be superb at Wolves, play in the centre of those uh, three centre halves. Mm-hmm. Um, good footballer, can also play defensive midfield, so he has those abilities. I think the focus is the right centre back, right wing back area. Um, so uh, finals, Sherry Saint Just be uh, can also play right back. So that's quite an interesting little natural fit for that area of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, a, another centre half, they have a little bit of a weakness in defending set pieces and they're not the most productive in attacking set pieces. Sevilla's Simon Kier, uh, the guy we mentioned earlier about the young kids and living in Seville, which must be. It's, yeah, maybe Wolverhampton's a little bit of a tough sell for, for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's one really obvious one on the, um, on the George Mendes client list. Um, Nelson Semedo is not having the most uh, happy time at Barcelona uh, and is most probably for sale. Mm. Um, now, I, I think uh, Doherty's done a, a, a good job at right wing back. I think Conor Cody has been excellent at centre half. But I, I think you... There are very few areas where you could improve realistically, but I think that is one area. So Semedo would interest me, and obviously, given who his agent is, um, that's a, that's a that's that's a that's a durable one. One point on Wolves: um, like last season, they used um, just eighteen outfield players in the Premier League, and of those eighteen, uh, Leo Bonatini and Helder Costa have already gone. Um, and obviously, this season they're playing in the Europa League. Hopefully, they'll get through the the qualifying stages. So they are going to need to develop their bench. Um, one of the names on uh, we're connected with at the moment is uh, a guy called Robert Skov, who plays for FC Copenhagen. Very interesting guy. Like he, he is a naughty player. He is. He's one of those guys that sort of, if you've seen him, you, you kind of immediately fall in love with him. Very yeah. stylish footballer, lovely left foot. Um, and that would be very interesting because I do think they need to have a little bit of variation at the top of the pitch. Um, their midfield seems kind of set in stone for now until Martinho gets a little bit older. I wouldn't interfere with that. It works very, very well. Um, but if you can bring in someone like that, someone who has a, a few more, like I, I, I think uh, Diogo Yotta is terrific. He, he, he developed so quickly last season. He is deservedly a first-team player now. But um, I think if you get Adeskov, you get a little bit more craft. That's quite interesting, I think. So I think Wolves have a bit of a filling-out summer um, on top of those, those centre-back issues. I think Scov's got a really high ceiling, and yeah. in fact, he's probably going to feature in my uh, "Who Arsenal Should Buy" video for the right wing berth because I think he's just got that. He's, there's an arrogance to the way he plays, which is really attractive. Um, there's another Danish lad actually called Andreas Scov Olsen, who's also really, really good. 
but they've got they've got some very exciting young players coming the, through. The one thing about Skov, the one uh, inhibiting factor here is going to be that the Danish national team manager, whose name I can't remember, um, has advised him uh, not to jump too quickly out of Danish football. So whether he heeds that advice, I don't know. But whether he goes as high as Arsenal, I don't know. Like I don't know how much that advice is worth to him. So yeah. we'll see. But I would love to see him in the Premier League. I think he's a, I think he's a very very good player in the making. Fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, apologies to uh, those who were hoping to hear thoughts about Atletico Madrid. As I said, listen to last week's episode, and we'll probably come back to them again in the future. Uh, thank you very much to Seb Stafford-Bloor. Thank you, Joe and Alex Stewart. And we will be back with you uh, next week, I imagine, for something similar. Goodbye. At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.